Healing Words podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. All right, so think for a minute. Um, How far back can you trace your family? Has anybody kind of dug into some of that ancestry stuff and looked up and tried to see how far back you can trace your family? It's kind of a fun thing to do. Uh, Several years ago, uh, my dad's brother, my uncle, did a little digging, and he was able to trace our family all the way back to the year 1530. So in 1530, in Norfolk, England, a man named Francis Purdy was born. And that, that would be the oldest relative that I know by name. And 441 years after he was born, I was born. There's a lot of generations, though, between Francis and me. A, a lot of generations and, and a lot of stories that I don't know. I'd love to kind of go back in time and kind of see some of those stories and how that all played out. Um, The oldest story that I know about my family is a story about my grandfather's grandfather. Um, His name was Rodliff Purdy. Now you can see from the picture that apparently it's uh, the bald and the beard Maybe that's a purdy thing. I don't know. I got to thinking about it, and every purdy man that I know in my lineage uh, was blessed with a bald head and blessed with a good beard. So maybe that's a thing. I don't know. But uh, he was born in 1845 in Henderson, Illinois. But he died in Prairie City, Iowa. Apparently, he had gone out there to Iowa to look for a job. And in the process of getting off the train that took him out to Iowa, he somehow stepped in front of an oncoming train and got hit and died. So that's the oldest story I know about my family history. What are the stories in your family? What do people talk about when your family name is mentioned? Sometimes those stories are good. Sometimes maybe not so good. Sometimes a family reputation is built on good memories of success and achievements. Sometimes a family reputation is built on a scandal or there's some skeletons in the closet. Most of the time, most families have a little bit of both. Some good and some bad, some heroes and villains, winners and losers, highlights and hardships, prosperity and adversity, victory, defeat, triumph, tragedy. Most families have a history with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some people can look back at their families and they could say, he was a great businessman. He was a powerful leader. She wrote a best-selling book. She inspired so many people. 
He invented a revolutionary new product. She achieved great success. He was given a very prestigious award. He was famous. She overcame so much. My great-grandfather was a man who changed the world. And then some of us could look into the past and say, my great-great-grandfather stepped in front of a train. (laughs) Whatever your family heritage is, whatever your personal history might be, today I want us to recognize that when it comes to the most important thing in life, when it comes to the most important thing in life, when it comes to being in a right relationship with God, it's not about what has happened. It's not about the past. It's about the present. It's about right now. Back in the days of the early church, most of the Jews, most of the Jews felt like their heritage, their nationality, because they were Jewish, they felt that their nationality made them favorable with God. They felt that because of their history, they were in a right place with God. And so the Apostle Paul kind of addresses that when he writes in the book of Romans. So Romans chapter 2, verse 17 through 20. Here's what it says. It says, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you've been taught his law. You're convinced that you're a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God for you're certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. In that culture, when this was written, the time of this letter, the population was kind of divided into two major groups. You had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. The Jews were the descendants of the Israelites, the Hebrew people, and the Gentiles were everyone else. So all of us here would be considered Gentiles. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, to the Christians that were living in Rome, and Rome was filled with people from both groups. There were Jewish people and there were Gentile people. And so Paul is writing to this church because in this church is Jewish people and Gentile people. But he's writing primarily to the Jews. Verse 17, he speaks to the Jews. He says, hey, you guys are relying on God's law and you're boasting about this special relationship that you have with God. You see, the Jews wore their righteousness with great pride. They even boasted about how close they were to God. And here's the reason why. They thought they were close to God because of their history. They thought they were close with God because of their history, because of their heritage, because of their ancestors, because of their pedigree. They were the chosen nation of God. God had spoke first to them and through them, and so therefore, of course, they're favored by God. They also thought they were close to God because of the law. At that time, the word of God was the inspired writings of Moses. It was the Torah. 
which the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. You can say them with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was the Torah. That was the law. That was what Jews called the law. And they thought that because they knew the Torah and they followed the Torah, they must certainly be favorable or be right with God. And up to this point in this letter that Paul's writing to them, up to this point, they're probably thinking, this is good. Paul's writing to us. He's affirming to us who we are and how we sit with God. They may have thought Paul, Paul is just validating our identity. And then verse 17 through 20, it's in the original language, it doesn't have any negative connotation. Even the word where it says brag or boast, you brag or boast about your relationship with God, it's not, it's not a negative word in this. It's actually just kind of a warm sense of pride. So everything in this verse, from verse 17 to 20, probably put a smile on their face. Yes, I'm a Jew. That's good. Yes, I trust in the law of Moses. Yes, I'm proud to be close to God. Yes, I know what is important and what should be done. I've learned the law. Yes, I'm a guide for those who cannot see the truth. Yes, I can show and I can teach what is right. I come from the right people. I have a good history, a strong heritage, the right pedigree. I know what is right. I know what is wrong. I have the law. And they're probably smiling, saying, yes, Paul, you're exactly right. Thanks for affirming this. But then Paul continues. In verse 21 through 24, he says, well, then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You're so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scripture says that the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. That smile that was on their face, that confident smile, it's gone now. At first, Paul's words sounded like affirmation, but all of a sudden, his tone changed. Paul hits them with some very blunt questions. You teach? Why aren't you teaching yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You speak against adultery, but do you commit adultery? You hate and speak against idols, but do you profit from those pagan temples? You boast about the law, but do you break the law? And then in verse 24, he says, those who are not Jewish, in other words, remember the Gentiles, everybody else, those who are not Jewish, they speak against God because of you. He says, the truth is, your actions are causing people to say bad things about God. Now, how do you think the Jews feel now? Paul asked those questions with the intent to make a point. He wanted them to understand that having the history and even having the law wasn't enough. They were not living according to the faith that they claimed. 
he told them the Gentiles are speaking against God because the Jews, you're often talking the talk without walking the walk. And that's why they have this bad impression of God because they're watching you and you're not walking the walk, you're just talking the talk. Is it, is it fair to say that we might have that same issue today? Those who are outside of the faith have a bad impression of the faith because Christians sometimes talk the talk but don't walk the walk. James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 says, In the same way, faith by itself that does nothing is dead. Someone might say, you have faith, but I have deeds. Show me your faith without doing anything. I'll show you my faith by what I do. In verse 17 and 20, Paul gave a quick review of what the Jews thought qualified them for righteousness. He affirms their history, their heritage, their allegiance to the law of God. But then in the next verses, verse 21 through 24, He points out that they may know it, but they might not necessarily be living it. And then in verse 25 through 29, he explains further what needs to be done. In Romans 2, verse 25 through 29, he says, The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For you're not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God, and the true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it's a change of the heart produced by the Spirit, and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Talks a lot in there about circumcision, because you see circumcision was a Jewish tradition. It was something that the Jews held to be very important. According to the Jew. It was a very specific, clear identification mark that you were right with God. The Jews believed that it was so special, it was so important. Listen to some of these rabbinic quotes about circumcision. They use the word Gehenna, which means hell. And listen to what these quotes say about circumcision. Circumcised men do not descend into Gehenna. Circumcised men will not descend into hell. At the last, Abraham will sit at the entrance to Gehenna and will not let any circumcised man of Israel go down there. So Abraham's standing there before the gates of hell, and if a man comes and is going to be sent there, Abraham says, nope, he's been circumcised, he can't be in here, send him up to heaven. That's what this quote basically says. Circumcised, circumcision, it says, will deliver Israel from Gehenna. That is how important they considered this symbol, this mark. It was a very physical symbol that identified them as people of God. A good analogy for this symbol could be this. On the third finger 
of my left hand, I wear a wedding ring. Now, here's a good fictional story for you, and keep in mind it's fictional. Let's say I'm hanging out at a bar one Friday night, all by myself. I'm sitting there, sipping on a drink, and some young woman sits down next to me. She glances over at the table and takes notice of me, and she thinks, look at this attractive young man sitting right here all by himself. I told you, it's a fictional story, so just go with me on this. (laughs) She looks over, and she thinks about introducing herself and initiating a conversation. But then she glances down, and she sees, notices my wedding ring. This ring is a symbol of my status. This ring is supposed to tell her that I'm taken. I'm off limits. Now what happens if I take, if I could get it. What happens if I take the ring off? What happens if I take the ring off? If I take the ring off, am I still married? Yes, of course I am. The ring doesn't make me married. The ring is just a symbol that I am married. In Romans, God confronts the Jews because so many of them claimed faith because of the symbol. They claimed faith just because they'd been circumcised. They claimed faith just because they were Jewish. They claimed faith because of the symbol rather than because they actually followed God in obedience. If we use the same analogy, it's like someone wearing a wedding ring, but not really being married. They have the ring on, claiming to be married, but they're not. Uh, Circumcision was a symbol of their heritage. It was a symbol that showed that they belonged to God. And so Paul speaks right into that. He says, that symbol only has value if you're obeying God's law. He says, if you don't obey God, you're no better than an uncircumcised Gentile. I can have the wedding ring. I can wear the wedding ring. But the ring has no value The symbol has no meaning if I'm not living faithful to the wedding vows. We can embrace any and every symbol of faith. We can wear a cross around our neck. We can listen to Christian radio. We can put one of those Christian fish stickers on the back of our car. We can tattoo a Bible verse on our skin. We can get baptized, we can take communion, we can quote scripture, we can sit in church every Sunday, we can sing the worship songs, we can raise our hands in worship, we can pray out loud, we can do anything and everything that looks Christian on the outside, but the symbol only has value if we're obeying the Lord. The Jews in Rome trusted the symbol because the symbol was a sign of their heritage. It was a status symbol. It was evidence that because of their history, they were right with God, and God said, don't trust that symbol. 
It's not about your history. It's not about your faith. I mean, it is about your faith. It's not about your history. It's about your faith. It's about living in faithful obedience. And that is a right here, a right now thing. Here's what we need to recognize. A good history, a good heritage, doesn't earn our favor with God. And a bad history, a bad heritage, doesn't determine where we stand with God either. All too often, we let our past hold us back from letting God love us and lead us. We let the past define who we are, in good ways and in bad ways. We forget that if we're in Christ, our past has no power over us. Our past has been paid for. We are forgiven and we're made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. We're no longer owned by our past mistakes. We are no longer slaves to our sin. We belong to Christ. Listen to these words of God. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isaiah 43, 25. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I've paid the price to set you free. Isaiah 44, 22. Once again, you'll have compassion on us. You'll trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. Micah 7:19. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103. Their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. Hebrews 10:17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8:1. In 1551, a French military surgeon noticed something about his patients. Specifically, he noticed something about the patients that had gone through an amputation. He wrote in his documents that the patients, long after the amputation is made, say that they still feel pain in the amputated part. It's believed that 80% of amputees experience what's been called phantom pain. They feel pain in a limb or an extremity that has been removed. It's not there, but they feel pain in it. In a similar way, there are many who are in Christ who have been forgiven for their sin who still feel a phantom pain. We still hurt even when we know that God has removed our sin. We need to trust the great physician. Trust the promise of his forgiveness. He's healed us from our sin. Don't let the past define you. Don't hold on the past to declare yourself good. Don't hold on the past to declare yourself bad. Live right now in the very present relationship with Christ. Live right now in faithful obedience to Christ. Live in Christ each and every day. Colossians 2, 
Verse 6 and 7 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your life in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. It's not about your heritage. It's not about the symbols that you identify with. Romans 2, 29 says, No, a true Jew, meaning someone right with God, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God, and true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit, and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not people. Christianity isn't about a family history, and it's not about a nationality. Christianity is all about living in obedience to God's will. Christianity is having a heart that is right with God. And a heart that is right with God is a heart that has been changed by the Spirit of God. Paul writes this same stuff to the church in Galatia. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Jews who believed that they were right with God because they were descendants of Abraham, they were Jewish, and they believed that the promise of God belonged to nobody else but them. And Paul told them that the promise of God was not exclusive to the Jews. He told them that the promise belonged to anyone who was in Christ. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. How are you children of God? Not by heritage, not by what nationality you belong to. You are children of God through, through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is not Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. Do you hear what he's saying? There is no exclusivity about who belongs to Christ or who is right with Christ. It isn't a nationality. It isn't a gender. It isn't any of that. It's not whether you're a slave or whether you're free. It's if you're in Christ. The children of God are those who are in Christ through faith. Those who have the promise of God are those who are in Christ through faith. It's not your nationality, not your position in life, not your gender. The question is, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you been baptized into Christ? Are you in Christ? Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the word of God be living and active in your life.